Hey, folks. Welcome back to the show. Today, mother-daughter duo Carol Munch and Piper Niehaus join the show to discuss their experiences as women rangers at Philmont. They each examined the different hurdles they overcame, from Carol dealing with the logistical and geographical constraints placed on women rangers in the 70s, to Piper recognizing the need for female-specific backpacking guidelines in the mid-2000s. They celebrate the traits of the ranger experience, including empowerment and confidence, and they discuss just what it is that makes Philmont so special. Lastly, we chat about their three-week trek on the Montesluce circuit in Nepal and how they continue to actively backpack and adventure to this day. This episode was recorded earlier this year, but I wanted to share it today as a way to highlight an upcoming fundraising event. On Tuesday, December 6th, the PSA will be hosting an event to raise money for the Riata Women Endowed Scholarship Fund. Twelve incredible women have teamed up to sponsor the six hours of giving to include matching contributions. These 12 sponsors include today's interviewees, Carol Munch and Piper Niehaus, as well as other Philmont trailblazing women, such as Carol's sister, Jane Munch Flurkey, Hannah Wilson, Mary Stuver, Joyce Schroeder, Laura Rusizen, Sue Roberts, Patty Spinola, Diana Loomis, and former podcast interviewees, Joy Pendley and Nancy Nelson. This team will plan for two scholarships this coming summer for young women who want to participate in a Rayado trek. So mark your calendars and consider donating to this awesome cause to help fully fund the Rayada Women Scholarship Endowment. You can donate today or wait for the big event on December 6th. I'll link the scholarship in the show notes below, or you can go online to philstaff.org, click the Donate tab, and select the Trek Scholarships category. And with that, let's hike on. So I'm here this evening with Piper Niehaus and her mother, Carol Munch, and both of you ladies have worked at Philmont. Piper, you worked there from 2006 to 2010, and Carol, 1973 to 1976. You guys have a huge history at Philmont, your family. Um, we were just talking off air. You guys have been out there for several generations, but I'm specifically excited to talk to you two today since you're a mother-daughter duo. And because we're uh, focusing on the 50th anniversary of female rangers uh, at the ranch. So just to kind of take it way back, what led you to Philmont? Who influenced you to to work out there, to trek out there? Do you want to start with the old, the old generation? Sure. <laughs> we broke ground. Um, the only women that were working out there in the beginning were brothers of of staff, our sisters of, you know, our brothers were already staff, uh, daughters of permanent staff um, had some connection like that because they weren't taking applications. After my sophomore year of college, I happened to be out at our cabins in Eagle Nest and my brother came over and said, they're hiring girls. <laughs> you want to go over? <laughs> and um, at that point, you know, 
my brother Jim had been on several adventures uh, up to the canoe base a couple of times, all sorts of things. And those opportunities were just not available for girls. And um, although our family had done lots of camping and I'd hiked up Wheeler multiple times by then. So I went over and it was like, can I do this? Can I take Boy Scouts out backpacking? When I haven't done a lot of backpacking myself, I've certainly had a lot of hiking and a lot of camping. And I looked at who else was being hired and decided that they didn't know any more than I did. So if they could do it, I certainly could. That's how I got there. And that's how everybody in the be- all the women in the beginning got there through some connection like that. Carol, your first summer as a ranger in 1973, that was the second year of women working at Philmont. Uh, 1972 was the first year and it was just two women, two, two rangers. It was Kathy Leach and Nancy Wells. Like you said, trailblazers uh, still in 1973. Do you know how many women were on staff that summer? There were 10 of us that year. And then it shrank the next year because Joe Davis, who was the director of camping, said that there were women in Explorers. And the Explorers explorers crews came at the beginning and the end of the summer so that if there were women already on Philmont, they should hire women as rangers. It was very forethinking. The next year after he retired... We shrank to about five or six because the next one was not sure that we should be there. And as a result, we could take these crews out the very beginning and the very end of the summer. And during the rest of the summer, we took out mountain women crews, or I did all summer, and we were supposed to be not seen in the backcountry, which meant we had alternate camps to take these girls to. The camp directors had alternate programs for us. We had a, a, a wall called Singer Wall down uh, from for from Cedo that they would come down and do program for the girls. Um, at Harlan, Gary Richards, the camp director, came down with Burroughs and did us did us a special program down at um, Deer Lake Mesa, which was not used except except by us that summer. Um, Hunting Lodge was not a staff camp then. Uh, hunting lab is one of the camps that we used. We, in fact, may have slept inside. I don't remember. And and we made t-shirts that I, my brother and I silk screen t-shirts that said camp quarantine because we just, it was very touch and go. Would we be allowed on the ranch? Then the next summer it loosened up again and we became rangers like everybody else. Piper, I want to let you uh, go ahead and answer that question. So yeah, how did you end up at Philmont? I mean, I think it's a little obvious it runs in the family. <laughs> and uh, and we would go to New Mexico every summer. And so that was already a super special place to us. We would go out and hang out in our family cabins. And it was time when we got to be with all our cousins. And we would go climb Wheeler, go backpacking. And I did a PSA trek. Uh, so I was the advisor at age 13 to the PSA trek. And had a lot of fun. I mean, it's really fun to be a 13-year-old on a PSA track. Yeah. It was cool. And so I had a great time on that. Uh, and so then I signed up to do Rayado as soon as I was old enough. So that was in 2006. And loved that and came back for Rocks the next year. I think it was very much like, this is happening. <laughs> um, but it wasn't something that 
our parents ever pushed on us or anything. It was very much like, okay, I'll go on this PSA trek. And then, oh, this is actually awesome. And I want to go back and keep doing it. We didn't push, but we maneuvered so that you could get out there. I mean, I had done it. I had had such a wonderful experience, such a growth experience that I wanted my kids to do it. So how do you get your daughter out there when the Boy Scouts in uh, San Francisco are not very outdoorsy? So It was definitely a thing that I joined a venture crew and they were, the crew existed so that the leader's son could finish his Eagle Scout project and they were so lame. (laughs) I like did the bare minimum of stuff with them to be able to get them to sign my Phil Want paperwork. Obviously, you worked in very different generations, you know, your mom in the 70s, Piper, you in the 2000s. But um, I do think that, you know, there's still some similar, uh, the similar joys and and the mystery and the magic of Philmont, as well as, you know, overcoming challenges. So, Carol, if you want to hop back to kind of what you were saying, where you guys called that era, or at least one of those years, Camp Quarantine, and you were kind of uh, not to be seen in the backcountry, what did that feel? feel like? I think that if you, you know, talk to women of my generation in whatever venture they went into, everybody faced that. We were, there were a lot of firsts in all across the work, the work world then. Um, What it felt like was, well, for instance, um, the first two years we stayed in the tents that had been for the walking wounded down by the health lodge, because we obviously needed our own bathroom. They had no facilities for women. Uh, the, the third year, we had those the first two. The third year we came back and they were building a PTC, or not a PTC, a women's um, you know, a bathroom and our own tent city over there. The shock for me was, and they started hiring, well, we had to be 20. The boys only had to be 18. I think they were trying to get us uh more mature than the boys so there wouldn't be fraternization. So I'd go into the bathroom in the morning after coming off the trail and there would be a girl putting on makeup in the mirror. And, and it's just kind of a, and you're coming off the trail and you're grubby or whatever. And it's like makeup, who's, who's here? Because they were hiring women in the trading center where my sister had to work before she could be a ranger. Um, even though she was one of the first KCM women, she was in that crew and all over the ranch, you know, food service. So there were all these women in base camp. And so that was one thing you saw, oh, well, the girls have a different standard than the guys. Um, they started making these rules in the base country, in the back country. Like you had to have a group of three. Um, if, you, if, you know, I don't know if it stated, but if there was a woman because they didn't want the fraternization. And I looked at that and I said, so I'm going to come off the trail and have to get in and I have to find two other people to come in with it. It's like, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't do that rule. So the rules started appearing because they really were worried about uh, how to handle the girls. They had no idea. Um, so that's the type of thing we faced. The other thing we faced was, um, you would get a crew of these gung-ho Boy Scouts and their six-foot-two advisor. We only only had one advisor in those days. The rules hadn't come for the two, two adults yet. And they would look at this girl who was going to be their rough-and-tough ranger that they'd gotten in shape for coming to Philmont, and it felt like we had to prove ourselves to every crew. 
Now, I never had the experience of a crew saying we don't want to want her. Usually it was more like, um, you know, they're looking at how you look because that's what, what they do. Um, but I think that we, or I know I made a point to, and I could I, out hike any crew. I could hike from the back to the front because we were there all summer. We were in better shape. Um, so I never let them off easy, but, uh, you know, that, that was another way that, um, we were probably challenged more than the guys. I had a crew in uh, Crater Lake, and in those days, we were just cooking over fires. The stoves hadn't really come yet. My last summer, a few crews started having stoves, and half of the breakfasts were cooked, and half of the breakfasts were Pop-Tarts, basically. And uh, we were cooking sausage and eggs over the fire. Um, in those days, I don't know how they do it now, all the, the crew had to be, have struck their tents have all their their uh, packs in a pack line and um, kind of ready to go as soon as we finish breakfast. So this bear rumbles into camp and of course he smells this wonderful sausage smell and he's not he's not unknown in that camp. And so I send a couple kids over to the staff cabin and they've got air horns in those days to try to scare away the bears and they say, Oh, you know, he he won't scare with the air horn. Just let him have what he wants. And, and I, you know, had all the had all the kids like step back and let the bear have his way. And he was going to make his way through all the packs, which fortunately were all open. So my six foot two advisor picks up a big, uh, long uh, part of a tree and goes for the bear with it. And the bear didn't doesn't look that big when it's on all fours. But when it rears up its feet, you know, it's taller than the advisor. And it's, I just had this feeling that um, rough and tough advisor has to show his stuff and not back off like the boys, which he did after that. But that bear slobbered all over everybody's pack, which mostly were open. And then we just went and got food because this is, this was happening at Crater Lake that summer and just got more food and went on our way. But so, so in some ways, there's kind of a respect thing. The other thing is there was this one advisor who was out there every year who liked to set his table and his crew had to carry fork, knife, and spoon. And he would send out and they would gather um, foliage of some kind for the centerpiece. And he would invite us women rangers with an invitation to come to dinner. And it, so there you know, stuff like that going on that... I don't know if it still happens today, but but that was kind of unusual. Piper, so you were in the ranger department for five summers. And yeah, what would you say were your biggest challenges? And, you know, what tactics did you deploy to kind of overcome things? We didn't have some of the really overt logistical hurdles. Uh, We didn't have, nobody was questioning whether we should be there in the same way. So we had gotten past the really overt stuff. And I think at that point, I think for me, it was about kind of figuring out what's your place. Uh, and the first couple of summers, I was a, I was a late arriving ranger most years. And the first summer, the I think the only other female late arriving ranger who was my tent mate, and she was lovely, but I was 18 and she was 25 and we were in really different spots. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of girlfriends the first couple of summers. 
so I think I felt this sense of like, any woman can succeed. And if you succeed, if you don't succeed, you're like not one of the cool girls or something. And I think a big thing that changed for me over my time as I made, you know, really wonderful girlfriends at Philmont over the years was changing my mindset from like, oh, I, any girl can make it if they're one of the cool girls to any girl can make it. And if they're not making it, it's a systemic issue. And that was a big change in mindset for me that occurred over my time at Philmont, but also, you know, continued in life and realizing that, of course, there were like systemic things that prevented women from succeeding, whether it was the feeling that you had to prove yourself to every crew, which of course you did. But I kind of changed my mindset from like, oh, but I can prove myself as the cool girl to like, no, anybody should be able to. And realizing, for example, that they didn't have good guidance to give male rangers for what to do about women in the backcountry. They a big one for me that's maybe not the most PC was like peeing in the backcountry. Philmont had no anything that they would give to these male rangers as a breadcrumb of how to tell women what to do. And so, I mean, they had in the ranger field guide, they had like a instruction manual for how to squat. And I remember reading this and just being like, what, why do you have this in there? And then no practical stuff for like, how do you manage cleanliness, you know? And that was something my last summer, my friend Allison King and I wrote, we called it the girl's guide to Philmont with stuff like, okay, maybe carry a pee rag. (laughs) That's actually a really common thing that many other outdoor institutions like Knowles do as standard. But at Philmont, we were like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And trying to kind of say, here's how you handle menstruation in the woods. People were so afraid of menstruating on the trail that they would get, you know, hormone shots to prevent it. (laughs) And it's like, this is not that scary. We can do this. And that we needed to be more open to everybody versus me just proving that I could do it. And actually our girl's guide to Philmont ended up in the Boy Scout Ranger field guide <laughs> or not Ranger field guide, Boy Scout field guide, the overall field guide. Okay. Uh, because my mom's buddy is the author of that. And so he just like printed it word for word. <laughs> that, that was kind of the big thing that happened for me was figuring out how do we open it to everyone. Thinking about either women who preceded you or women who worked with you, who are some people that really mentored you or you really looked up to and what was it about them? Maybe some characteristics or... If you're talking to me, there were no women preceding us. I don't think, I don't have a sense that the few women that we were, I, that we were, we didn't make great friends. I don't, maybe there weren't enough or something you know, was it me or was it just the group? I, you know, Dave Caffey was our chief ranger for two or three of the years I was there. He would be more of a mentor than anything, but there were no women to look up to. We were the oldsters. Anything specifically about Dave Caffey that stands out or that you remember that you want to share? He's just a marvelous human being. He, he's listens. He doesn't prejudge. He's, He's the boss you would want to have. And everybody respected him. He never, uh, he's just very, 
very genuine. Yeah. He was a good boss. I still respect him. I still, you know, when I see him at the Silver Sage dinner, I can sit down and have a conversation. And what was his role when you were there in the 70s? He was the chief ranger. Well, that was important to have the chief ranger be someone who, like you said, was, you know, the best boss, the respectful person, especially when that was the era that women were being introduced. So that was good fate. Right. When, <laughs> when, what I remember is, so in 1976, he asked me if I wanted to lead a Rayado crew. And he said, before he said, well, I want to ask you something first. He said, I hear that you don't follow rules. And I said to him, I don't follow rules that can't be followed, like hiking in groups of three. I said, some of the, some of the rules that, that are being made are not applicable. So I said, I don't not follow rules, but if it's so silly, I don't follow it. I can, I can get behind that. <laughs> um, Piper, what about you? Let's see. I had many role models. So I think that uh, is definitely a big difference. Of course I had, you know, my mom and she was always, I think, had, ha- had had such a formative experience at Philmont. And that was such, is such a big part of, I think, at least what I perceive her identity to be as this tough backpacker Philmont person, that she definitely held me to a high standard on stuff like that. I remember one time being afraid of a spider and her being like, I don't think she ever would have given my brother's grief about being afraid of a spider. But I just remember her being like, is this who you want to be? <laughs> and uh that that was something that was very important to her to be you know a strong woman and that was definitely something that you know I would have been accepted no matter what of course but that that was something that was valued for my family and then uh, of course at Philmont I had so many strong female role models and in my uh crews when I was camper so thinking back to being 16 and my Rayado Rangers or 17 and my rocks instructors. And they're, you know, they were the funniest people and the, like just the coolest people that I could imagine uh, at that age. And they were very in themselves, you know, self-possessed of course, it certainly seemed then, but I, I do think that that was true. So that was really cool. And then, I was lucky to have a female RT in Heather Wilson and Heather was very, uh, is I'm sure I don't, I don't keep in good touch with her, but I'm sure she still is very self-possessed and uh, you know, that was, she, she was running all running the Ranger marathon as a race and doing all kinds of endurance challenges. And that was definitely something to look up to. And then uh, I think the other thing for me is my female girlfriends that I made at Philmont. I think, like I said, my first couple of summers, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. And then once I made girlfriends, it was like, that was really dumb. Um, because my Philmont girlfriends are still today some of my best friends and people that I keep in really good touch with and just respect and appreciate their opinion. I think it's interesting, Carol, that you said there were so few of you that one, you know, one might think that you guys would have this really tight bond, but maybe because of the circumstances and, and because of kind of the weird environments, 
it didn't happen that way. Or maybe you didn't, you know, you didn't see each other a lot because you were out there doing your thing, working. We definitely didn't see each other a lot. And I, and, you know, I still keep track of a, of a couple of people that my, you know, my tent mates. And the other thing, you know, what, what we had was because we were so unique. Um, I had all these little 18 year old guys who wanted to hike with me or whatever. So I had all these little hangers on her wherever I went, you know, we got invited to all of the staff parties for Christmas because we were so unique. So, you know, a lot of hue and cry to, to keep it, to involve us. Yeah. But the girls I never really buddied with. Since both of you worked solely in the ranger department, when you think about your time as a Philmont ranger, what do you think of? Or what does the ranger family and the ranger spirit mean to you? As Piper says, you know, after Philmont and, and having kids and stuff, I used to take whatever family members were around, cousins, brothers and sisters, my kids, every, we all went on a family backpack every summer. A lot of time going toward Wheeler and the Pecos because we were down in New Mexico. So for me, what I got, what Philmont was to me, there, I guess two things. One was meeting all these people from all around the country who liked to do what I did because I didn't know any of those people in my college years. They were not outdoors people like that. So, I mean, I still have several Philmont friends, uh, whatever we are, 70s, you know, 50 years later, or almost 50 years later. And the second thing is, um, because we, I wasn't coming from, um, it was so, and this isn't necessarily you know, a ranger thing, but just the empowerment of, you know, going inside yourself. I can get up baldy and I can hike an extra five miles because I need to, and you can stretch yourself and I can make it. And you go back to school and it's like, well, so it, it tells you, if you can do that, you can do anything. It's all coming out of yourself. So any hurdle that comes before you, some way I knew I had what was in me to tackle it. And it didn't, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, first of all, we weren't allowed and we couldn't have been backcountry staff. Betsy Roof, the second year, because she was married to, um, I think it was John Roof at at, uh, Clear Creek, she got to go out there. And then my last summer, Ward Brenniger, who's a good family friend, was the CDN head horse at Poneal. His wife was on staff, but her job was the cook. You know, in those days, women were, if you were in the backcountry, you were the cook. But the only job available to women was rangering in the backcountry. So I guess not so much ranger department, but I would say empowerment and the friendships. Because as important as it is to in, to instill in the scouts, uh, you know, the crews that you're getting, the leadership and and stuff like that, for the staff, um, it's more about the friendships that grow out of that. And I, I know for Piper, when she was on Rayado, just the idea that you're meeting people with very different upbringings, maybe different views from you, but you all come together over the empowerment of the mountains, the beauty. 
I definitely agree that the empowerment is a huge thing and just the feeling of I can do these things that didn't feel possible. So what else can I do that didn't feel possible? I think I did have the the identity of being a ranger because there there were other possibilities and it was definitely something that I picked uh, versus, you know, all of the many things that I could have been at Philmont at the time that I worked there. And I think the ranger department for me was about adventure and just, it's so fun to have a whole place where everywhere you go, you know, you'll be welcomed and you can sort of feel this sense that your home is on your back and that you can, that, that you can live on the road in a way that isn't always as comfortable in other places. You know, I've done that in other places, been a traveler and it's definitely, you don't have the same sense of comfort of knowing you'll be welcomed that you do at Philmont. And so I think that's the thing that, is the ranger department is adventure. And then I guess the other thing would be leadership. Uh, I think that that's something, I guess, leadership and mentorship as two different things as something that I see a lot from the ranger department, knowing how to facilitate things. And also as a ranger, your job is to teach people to lead. So uh, you have your crew leader and how do you empower that person to be in charge and I definitely see in my ranger friends that they have that skill set. And it's something that uh, they tend to pride themselves on. Kind of switching gears a tiny bit to just kind of some lightheartedness. What's your favorite place on the ranch? And is there a story behind why? And would you want to share that? And or just a favorite memory that you want to share? Go ahead, Piper, if you have one, I have to think. Oh, I was like, you always have to go first because you were the one who was there first. This is great. I get to think uh, about my answers. I feel like my gut reaction for a favorite place is Wilson Mesa because I just think it's really pretty. But I don't feel like I have a great story about Wilson Mesa. Um, I don't feel like I had any particular Wilson Mesa adventure Uh I have a Wilson Mesa story. You want to hear okay. it? Yeah. <laughs> and you can think. So I know we've had this discussion about the Ranger Marathon. Well, in my day, it was like three or four people each running, each hiking, you know, eight miles or 10 miles or whatever. So I was starting up north and um, I don't know where I was ending, but I did a wrong turn, ended up on Wilson Mesa, which was not the right place. And they were like, oh, where is she? Where is she? You know, I knew where I was, but I wasn't where it was supposed to be. So that that was, uh, there was a lot of teasing over that. Okay, Piper, you're back on. Let's see. I mean, I think at Philmont, I, I feel like I did a lot of just, it's fine. I could do this in a day stuff that was really fun. I remember going out and visiting. I had um, my friends Sam and Logan were both Rayado Rangers, and I remember deciding to go and visit them one day, and they were at the opposite end of the ranch. And I think we woke them up. I think that's what happened. It was like we we this hike took forever, and I think even we got a ride at some point. But uh, it was cool that we felt so empowered to just go and do stuff like that. And I remember waking them up. Uh, I think each separately because they were not partners and uh, 
And I remember Sam being very annoyed at me that I had woken him up. But of course, he like realized that he should probably be excited to see me and like got excited eventually. Uh, and then the next summer when I did Rayado, they came and like on purpose, they did not hike very far, woke me up. <laughs> um, and that was pretty fun. And I remember my Rayado partner, Katie, being like, Sam and Logan are here and I don't know what's going on, but you need to go out and deal with them. <laughs> and, uh, and that just being very fun and, uh, and just the kind of thing where it's both a physical challenge of like, yeah, that'll be fine. I'll just hike all night. It's not a big deal. And then also, you know, that it's fun with your friends that you can just uh, surprise them and that they will welcome you and vice versa. One place that I think is really beautiful in the ranch should be Yule Meadows. And I think it's because in late in the late part of the summer, the gentians would start blooming and they were so pretty. And when I did my Rayado crew, I, I had them do their solos there because it's just a very peaceful um, spot. Not a lot of crews come through there. And I remember, I mean, that's, that holds a special place for me. Uh, the other thing I like to do, which I don't think they allow anymore, is I used to like to hike crews. We used to have uh, Maxwell to Maxwell, which doesn't exist anymore. So first day is Maxwell. The next day you climb Baldy and back down to Maxwell. And I like to hike them for sunrise because um, it just seemed like if they can't see how steep they're going, they don't complain as much. And then you get up there for sunrise and it's so, so amazing that they're just awe-inspired. So those are, I guess I like the North Country for that. Are there any specific traditions in the the ranger department that you guys want to talk about there's the ranger chant that's a solid tradition that i, I mean did you all have the ranger chant no <laughs> so i don't know when we, it started we still you know we just had one dining hall we ate with the crews when i was there my friends were really into one summer we didn't want to stay more than one night in a row in our base camp tent which of course to take out a crew you have to stay two nights in a row so we had a lot of fun finding places to sleep where you could make it back for like 6.30 a.m. camper breakfast. And then the next summer they changed the rules <laughs> because we <laughs> were always sleeping in like the Protestant chapel. Um, and they made it so that you weren't allowed to just sleep anywhere in base camp anywhere anymore, which looking back, I'm like, I see why that would have been strange for a camper to find this random group of rangers sleeping somewhere. But we really we we had we were very certain that it was part of the adventure to not spend more than one night in a row in your base camp tent, and uh, and we succeeded. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that a tradition because I really think that we made it impossible for somebody else to do it. <laughs> one thing that was a ranger tradition for us that it isn't now is because we were cooking over fires, making the the peach cobbler and people would have all sorts of stuff to doctor it up with. There were big storage things in the starting camps where you would get out of Dutch oven and you curse the ranger before you who didn't clean it out properly. And at some of the reunions, they, they still try to do a uh, peach cobbler bake off. Uh, but if they're still doing the frosting, the canned frosting with the pound cake, it just doesn't cut it. It's just yeah. uh, not the same. 
The other thing that I did since we had this Dutch oven is I had got some uh, sourdough starter from my grandmother. And I used to make uh, rolls for them. I would carry the starter actually in my shirt to keep it warm <laughs> and uh, leave, leave the rest of it in my tent. I'm sure it smelled good to my tent mate because it was so hot in there. And I used to make that. And then, then um, I would get extra flour and stuff from the, uh, from the kitchen. And we used to make donuts when I was in camp. I don't know what we made them on, but yeah, we had fun with that. Yum. That's impressive. So Piper, we were kind of talking off air about what makes Philmont so special. You know, there's a lot of beautiful places in the world, but yeah. Do you want to kind of share what you said about like waiting for it all summer? Yeah. I think my, my viewpoint on, I feel like people love Philmont so much and, uh, and I've worked at other outdoor ed places, you know, done that. And there, most places you don't have people, you know, chanting about how they want to go back there. And I think a lot of what makes Philmont so special is people work there for the summer and then they go to college and they had this amazing summer and they got to get started on these great friendships and then they get to miss it for nine months and think about how great it was. And then they get to do it again. <laughs> um, and I just think that so much of what makes Philmont feel so special to people is that they they get the experience of wishing that they were there. And so they really enjoy it while they have it. They, they know that they will miss it. They experienced that just a month ago. They were missing it. And now they're here. And they're, so they're very in the moment in a way that they that you might not be in other places. and then you, you know, you get to go and miss it again and, and do it all again the next summer. So that's something that I, I try to carry forward now with do, doing, liking the thing that I'm doing. And on the one hand, oddly, that means like sometimes trying not to be too nostalgic about Philmont. I feel some, I, I always knew when I left Philmont that I wanted to make sure that it was not the coolest thing I'd ever done. And that's something that I still do think about is like, okay, how do I keep doing things that, how do I keep upping the ante, even if what is cool changes for me over time? So it's like, uh, it used to be that it was some crazy adventure. And now it's building the life that I want for myself. Uh, and being deliberate about that. But I think a lot of what makes Philmont so cool is you appreciate it as you experience it and continuing to do that, even if it sometimes means that I'm not like as nostalgic about Philmont can actually be more embodying of Philmont. Well, and I bet if you ask people that you have on your podcast, what it was like to get the contract that you turned down, that you would get some good stories because it's like, you say, well, I'm sorry, I can't go back because I have to get a real job. And I, that's, it's kind of tears your heart out when, because uh, they offered me um, the job of um, being the Riado Ranger that had never existed before for the year I didn't come back, you know, the coordinator. And I was like, nope, I'm sorry, I have to get a real job, but it tears my heart out.
transitioning into moving on from Philmont in a sense and stepping into the quote unquote real world, how did serving as a, a female ranger, you know, positively impact your post Philmont professional life? I think just being at Philmont and that idea of you realize that anything is possible if you set your mind to it. Uh, in my era, uh, women, no matter what you did, you were breaking ground. So I don't know if that was as much of a piece of it as a, as just the empowerment of um, seeing yourself as uh, being able to, to move through, move on into anything you wanted to. I think for me, it was definitely, definitely empowering, of course, you know, we've talked about that. I definitely still feel like I'm doing something very different, but very similar. I'm a leader in tech, which is a very male dominated industry. And it's super common that I find myself counting the women in the room. I can always tell if I'm aware of being a minority in the room by whether or not I feel compelled to count. And um, because that usually means like, oh yeah, I'm feeling this. And I certainly, I learned some strategies at Philmont that help with that. Certainly I got some confidence that I could be in that world and hold my own. <laughs> um, and that was definitely a big thing for me. And I think leadership skills in general and kind of those that skill to succeed. And some of that is as a woman and some of it is just, it's good skills to have. Um, and you, I certainly grew those skills and grew a lot of that confidence as a ranger and knowing like, hey, here's a group of 12 men and I am going to stand up and they're going to listen to me and they're going to take what I say seriously that's definitely something beyond the physical confidence building that I definitely got at Philmont. Yeah. And then I think there is, it's grown since then. It's something that I've really put thought into since then is what does it mean to succeed as a woman? It's, I really did think, I think my first, when I started at Philmont that it was about being, being the woman who could hang with the guys. And I think that, at Philmont and afterward, my my sense really changed from I want to be the woman who can succeed with the guys from I want the world to be a place where any woman can succeed with the guys. And if that's not the case, then that's something wrong with the situation and not wrong with the woman. If you could write a letter to your younger self, what would it say? honestly don't have a lot of, I feel like she did a pretty good job of <laughs> uh, being a, you know, learning the right things and certainly made some mistakes. Um, but I don't know that I, especially my, my young Philmont self that I'm like, Oh, you should have done X, Y, Z differently. I think that, you know, do, keep doing what you're doing. I think I would say, and then, I do think that the don't get hung up on Philmont is really important advice. And it's odd to say, because I think that I, my friends would like make fun of me for how much I appreciated Philmont when I was at Philmont. I would, I remember going to a Philmont reunion and then making fun of me. Cause I would be like, I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> but then I think that 
the idea of not getting too caught up and not missing it too much and going and, you know, doing cool stuff. And for me, that first contract or whatever summer, I didn't go back. I was doing cool stuff. I didn't, I've never thought, oh, I wish I could go back and do a summer at Philmont. It was great. I loved it. I'm so happy I had those experiences. And I'm not like, yeah, I want to swap and go be doing that now. And I I want to keep that up. I guess that's go have fun and learn a lot and then keep doing your thing. Carol, what about you? Uh, so my younger self, I guess one of the things that I know about myself after all these years is I love adventures, projects and adventures. So I have not stopped adventuring. So I guess that's what I would tell myself. Don't be afraid to go on adventures because that's what it's Uh, all about. So speaking of adventures, you guys have been on a lot of adventures with each other, you know, since Philmont, of course, your entire lives, you've been together. And do you guys want to share at all about that three-week trek? Um, I think it was around Mount... Montesloo. Thank you. The Montesquieu Circuit. Yeah. Okay. So I, after Philmont, I had studied Chinese in college. And I I remember doing this at a picnic table at Philmont because that's where I was applying for jobs. And I Googled outdoor ed China. And I went and taught outdoor ed in China for a while. And uh, my friend Allison King, who I mentioned earlier, came and did a month-long trek in Nepal with me and went to Everest base camp. And we actually have a tradition. We go every year. We haven't missed a year backpacking together this year. I'm pregnant and we have a one night, one mile in trip booked so that we can keep the tradition going. Yeah. And my mom was just salivating over this trip. I, that was my, how I saw it. I don't know, mom, maybe you're like, no, but she wanted to go so badly. And so the next year we went together and did the Montesquieu circuit and had a great time. We, you know, the good news is we were staying in, this isn't a circuit that's done a lot. It's not like the Annapurna or the, or the Everest with all sorts of uh, guest houses. So we, we were in some people's homes. We were in monasteries a couple of nights. Um, We were in some guest houses. We had showers once, maybe, Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. We carried our own sleeping bags and um, clothes, but we uh, either are, we had a, we were supposed to take a guide on this circuit. Um, but the the interesting part about it was so we were climbing higher and higher. My memory is we started at about two thousand feet. And um, when we got up in the 12,000 range, uh, there was still snow. We were there in March. And you would tend to see the same people um, there like you would if you were on any long trail. And there were there was this um, German father and kids ahead of us and uh, some other people. And they got up and didn't go over the pass because they, they had decided it wasn't doable yet. And we really wanted to go over this pass. And that dump, she went to the Annapurna circuit for a couple of days. Uh, we had run into a couple of Israeli guys and a couple of German girls who were also hiking. So there were um, three, six, eight of us in total. And we all spent the last night up really high. And you know, 
the last couple of days was all in snow. And Piper and I had one set of poles between us, I think, because we bought, we didn't really know we were gonna, what we were getting into. So we bought those down in Kathmandu. We didn't even bring any with us. So we're starting out going over this pass and then you go down this really long moraine. And um, I know I got up that morning and my headlamp wouldn't work and we're starting early in the morning. So I was following Piper with her headlamp. I just, it just, it had worked every other day for something, for some reason it conked out. And the, I'm the, I'm the old lady on the trip. They're all twenties, thirties. So they were all way ahead. Piper stayed with me. Our guide even went ahead that was a long day because we went from whatever, 12 up to 17 and back down to 12 for the next night. So the, that moraine we were going down was just huge. And you're just kind of on the crest of it for a long way going down. You know, the, things are much bigger there than uh, you would find in this country. Oh, then we got down to the Annapurna circuit, got a shower that night and hiked the next day. But what you don't know is... Um, the roads are starting to come into the Annapurna circuit. So we hadn't seen cars for almost three weeks. Uh, people are just on the trail. You know, the locals are hiking in their sandals or bare feet. And we have on our hiking boots and all this stuff. And they're, they're hauling in all this stuff, headband, holding um, heavy stuff on their backs. Or the, we saw some people hold, bringing up, there was a little bit of solar. The infrastructure was black pipes bringing water down um, into the villages. Some people had some solar, so they had a couple hours of daylight at night. These guys were carrying these big cables up, like three or four people in a row with the cables wrapped all the way around them because they're going to put a bridge across. We had a lot of bridges, you know, way high across that you wow. had to go over that were just, you know, swinging, hanging bridges. And the animals, everything went across them. Once we got on the Annapurna circuit and out of the wildness, I remember it came up and there were, all of a sudden there was this car, this jeepish car there. And, and it's just so like, what is that? Where did that come from? It just doesn't, be, it's, it's doesn't belong in your, in your senses. Well, what I remember about that was that when you get to the, to Annapurna, a lot of people who do Montesloo decide to catch a ride because there are Jeeps. And I think actually, to be honest, that the guides sort of expect that of you and they think they're going to get an yes. extra day off. And that they, I remember seeing the van and seeing our Israeli friends get, you know, jump into it. And my they, mom they looks, they sat on top of the Jeep. That's right. And I remember my mom looking at the Jeep and looking at the road and filmmakers have hiked on roads before. It's not fun <laughs> to hike on the road. And she goes, we are walking. Um, <laughs> but it was very, uh, very emblematic of her personality. <laughs> yeah. that we started this circuit and we will walk the whole thing. Piper, do you want to talk at all about what it was like teaching outdoor ed in, did you say China? Yeah, I guess. Sure. Um, that was my post uh, Philmont job, and it was super fun. It was very different from Philmont. We did maybe a couple of nights of backpacking or camping type stuff. Actually, I think one of the few nights we did, my wallet got stolen. We were not really in uh, super remote areas, but it was kayaking and hiking and biking 
I studied Mandarin in college. I definitely am not, have never been fluent. And I certainly haven't been keeping it up great living in Colorado, but I definitely spoke well enough at the time to do what I needed to do and get by. Were there any like big differences teaching outdoor ed there versus here in the States? It was, so the kids were international school students from Hong Kong. That was our clientele. We were based in Hong Kong. And what I would do is take kids across the border to China. We'd get on an overnight train. We would take the train to Yangshua, which was this kind of climbing mecca of China. I always would say it's the karst formations, which look like if you took a soccer cleat and flipped it over, that's what the mountains look like. It's like flat. And then there are these big limestone formations that just come out and we would stay in hotels. So it wasn't the same as Philmont in that way, but you'd go, you'd be in a hotel for the whole week. And I think the biggest differences were people were with their school class. So it's a very different dynamic. The kids all know each other. So that's a big difference. And you didn't have the same sense of roaming that you would have had at Philmont. It was much more, you know, we go back to this hotel every night and we kind of do programs with them every day. I think a lot of the empowerment for me there would have been not physical, but more, I can, I feel very confident that you can drop me off in whatever city in the world. And I will, I have been dropped off in the wrong small town in Vietnam. I don't speak Vietnamese. And I made it to my hotel where I had a reservation that night on the back of someone's motorcycle and it was fine. (laughs) Um, But I think that's, it's a different kind of empowerment. Do you guys want to share any adventures you have that you're excited for, for the future? Let's see. I mean, my mom goes on so many adventures oh, right I, now. Yeah, I now lead, I'm very active in the Colorado Mountain Club. There's been years when I've led more hikes than anybody else. I teach in the wilderness trekking school that's going on right now where we take newbies to Colorado or to hiking and uh, train them how to do it in the Rockies. I've spent a lot of time down in canyons in Utah, biked from uh, Munich to uh, Venice, and then we did a week in the Dolomites. Um, you know, cross country skied from hut to hut in Norway. What else? Yeah, I spend. I probably spent twenty. Oh, I hiked the John Muir Trail a couple of years ago. You know, I probably spend at least twenty nights a year in my tent on various backpacks. So. I have not stopped adventuring. That's one of the reasons we came to Denver to retire. Philmont teaches the 10 essentials, right? You guys are both familiar with that, with what that is and what that means. Um, Do you guys have an 11th essential? So you can think of this in the practical sense, something you always, you know, carry on you when you are adventuring, or you can think of it as sort of a mental thing, like a value or something that you carry with you when you're adventuring. Part of me feels like if it's going to be the women theme thing, I should say like my pee rag because that's the one I always forget also <laughs> these days. So I like but go out like, on a day trip and I'm like, oh, dang it. Um, but yeah, and I also gave you that new one too. Whatever you did, yeah. Called. I she gave me a pee rag for Christmas, so I I don't have any excuses. Otherwise, I don't know your sense of humor. <laughs> that's important. Your sense of thing. adventure. Yeah, sense of adventure. I, I mean, I think that uh, the 10 essentials are these things you carry with you. 
what you really take with you is your sense of, is your experience, your knowledge, your con- your conditioning, knowing that whatever it throws at you, you can be level-headed and hopefully figure out what to do about it. The, the, the essentials are just things. What do we bring to it? We bring ourselves and our way of being. I think also, okay, so excited. Uh, so I mentioned I'm pregnant, so expecting baby girl this summer. And my mom has a picture of me at maybe three or four months old. Yeah, I took her backpacking in the yeah. front. Well, I actually was had the jogging stroller, which didn't work out so well. But she she was in the in in my front pack at three months old. Was her first backpack? Yeah. So I have feel like I have big shoes to fill as far as introducing my daughter to the outdoors early. Who knows what you know? People are like. Philmont staffer. And I'm like, that is up to her. Uh, No pressure for her. But uh, I do feel that I have big shoes to fill as far as getting her into the outdoors. So I am looking forward to taking I don't I don't have big, crazy adventures to look forward to this summer other than, you know, figuring out how I can keep the tradition, hopefully going, if not, you know, this summer, next summer. I know people look up to both of you as individuals. So thank you guys for sharing your insights and your stories and uh, vulnerability and all of it. It's been really a pleasure to chat with you this evening. 